Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and uh, if you didn't have any other book with you, but just the book of Ephesians on a deserted island, I think you would be able to come to the knowledge of Christ without a single issue, because the book of Ephesians is so rich and filled with uh, instruction and theology, as well as application and uh, putting things into practice in real life. So, Apostle Paul spends the first half of the first chapter, and he is reminding the believers in Ephesus the benefits that they have received because they have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. And I would like to just point out verse 3. From this uh, comes out an interesting verse. He says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So, what Apostle Paul is calling the Ephesian church to do is he is calling them to bless, which is to glorify God, the Father, and he is asking them to do that because he's pointing out that the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ blessed us, so there's a double meaning of the word bless, bless meaning to produce great thanks and adoration of, of the Lord because he has done something, because he has blessed us. And that blessing comes in us having received all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places because of Jesus Christ. We are people who are deeply troubled and fallen, and I'd like to point out that in Jeremiah 17, 9, our heart condition is identified. It says that, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Contrary to the popular belief today, we're not born good, and then we become bad as a product of our environment. The Bible clearly speaks that we are bad, that our heart is more deceitful than all else, than anything else in this world. Above all things, a human's heart is deceitful, and it is so deceitful that we are actually able to do one thing that I don't know if any other living thing does, is we are able to deceive ourselves. And for this reason, God had to do something. He had to send his son, Jesus Christ, onto this earth. And this is the reminder that Apostle Paul is giving us. He's saying that we received everything that we need for salvation and for holiness in this one person, and that person is Jesus Christ. It says that he chose us in him, verse 4, and that he is choosing us before the foundation of the world. That is such an awesome thing, right? And then it says in verse 5 that he predestined us, that he adopted us, and it was all because of the kind intention of his will. It says that in verse 5. And he continues to list all of the benefits and the plan. If you look at the first, chapter, at the first portion of chapter 1, he beautifully explains how the Trinity is at work, how God the Father had this plan for saving a human race that is utterly sinful and fallen. 
He sends Jesus Christ, his son. And after Jesus Christ, his son, dies on the cross, he does even more. He sends the Holy Spirit to complete the work in the hearts of the believers. So we clearly can see that these people who he's writing to are people who have accepted Jesus Christ. Their heart condition started to improve. Their heart condition changed, in fact. They've been born again. They've been born again by the work of the Spirit. In fact, if we look back into Acts chapter 19, and you can turn there if you would like, that is when the work began in the Ephesian church, and Acts 19, verse 6, we see that the believers in Ephesus, they are receiving the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God begins to act mightily within their hearts, and they start speaking in tongues. It means that they're professing God in different languages. It is a clear and undeniable work of the Spirit. And then in verse 18, as we continue in Acts 19, it is said that they kept coming and they were confessing their practices, which were evil. So we begin to see the work of the Holy Spirit in these people's hearts. These people are starting to change, not only inwardly, but also outwardly. They are becoming aware of the things that they're doing and the things that are not right. So the things, their sins are coming up to the top and they're, they're starting to confess their sins and their practices. In fact, they're starting to do it so much that they brought the books of all of the sorcery and all of the things that they were doing unto Apostle Paul and they brought them and they heaped them up on the huge heap and they burnt them. Books were not so common as they are today. I was walking with my wife a few weeks ago and we walked and one of our neighbors just put out a huge box of books onto the sidewalk and it was free and you could just pick through them and pick out whatever you want. So books are abundantly available today, right? We go to bookstores all over the place. We can get a book. But it wasn't so back in the day. These were valuable things. Books took a while to produce. So they could have sold these things and they could have made some money. But it's not what they chose to do. They chose to do the very opposite thing. They realized that these books were working not for the Lord, but for Satan. So they decided to completely destroy the work of the devil that was contained in those books. And they didn't care about the amount of money that those books cost. In fact, it was a great amount of money. They burnt those books. So we see their practices starting to change. Their life, their walk, as Apostle Paul is going to refer to many times in the book of Ephesians, it is starting to change. In Romans 10, verses 9 through 11, we can find out how we know that we are becoming believers. If you're not sure today whether you're a believer or not, consider this verse. It says, Romans 10, verses 9 through 11, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For the heart is... For in the heart the person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, re resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. But as we see from the practice of Ephesian believers, it is not only good to start professing Christ. Our life, our walk, needs to be identifying with Christ as well. So, Apostle Paul is going to do one thing 
he is going to tell them about all of these benefits one more time just to remind them. And then if we turn to verse 15, let's read it together, verses 15 through 23. These are really the verses that I'd like to focus with us today. These verses are really interesting for one thing, that Apostle Paul starts to break out in praise towards Jesus Christ and God the Father, and he's praying. And it's an interesting prayer because I have never paid attention to what Apostle Paul prayed. I just read through it and scheme, scheme over it, but I never paused until I studied the book of Ephesians. What is it that he is praying about? And it is very interesting. Let's read verse 15 together and on to 23. He says, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists amongst you, and your love for one another, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you will know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory in His inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of His power towards us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in his right hand, at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So what we see happening here is that Apostle Paul is praying and he's saying a few things. He says, I do not cease thanking God while making mention of you in my prayers. So an interesting thing has happened. Apostle Paul realizes that these people have truly accepted Jesus Christ. They have manifested the fruit and the works of the Spirit. And he could have left it alone there, right? But he is praying for them. And he is praying some interesting things. He is asking the Lord to reveal himself to them even more. Now I have to pause for a second and just consider my own prayers. And I'd like for all of us to just pause right now and consider our own prayer life. My prayers are filled with the word, give me. My prayers are, heal me, or heal someone else. My prayers are surrounded around my family, my job, my business, my wants, my dreams, my desires. My prayers, unfortunately, are filled with me. What about you? What do you all pray for? What consists, what is the majority of things that you pray for when you pray to the Lord? We see Apostle Paul is thankful for the body of believers that God has made him a part of. And he says, I do not cease giving thanks for you. I have to pause for myself and think about it and say, 
When was the last time I said, thank you, Lord, for the body of believers that you have put around me? Do we all do that? I hope we do. We find Apostle Paul doing these things. He says, I give thanks to God for the people who are those genuine believers, the ones that are showing the fruit of salvation, the one that God has made me a part of. I'm thankful for this body, although imperfect, although sometimes we have struggles, although we have our own tribulations here as well. But are we thankful for the body of believers that we are surrounded with? That is the first thing that Apostle Paul is pointing out. He continues in verse 17, and he says, He prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Now we have to pause and ask ourselves another question. Is Apostle Paul confused? They clearly know who Jesus Christ is. They clearly were just speaking in tongues when He was there. A clear sign of the Holy Spirit working in their hearts. So why is it? Couldn't he pray something else? Maybe for safety. You guys remember, if you read chapter 19 of Acts, what happened after these believers started burning these books? There was a huge riot. A riot broke out. Their lives were in danger. They were about to be killed. So Paul doesn't pause and he doesn't pray for their safety. Maybe he could have prayed for better jobs for them or that they would become wealthy. Maybe that they would gain with their wealth influence in their society and the church would benefit from that. Maybe they would gain a political office. Apostle Paul does not pray about that. Apostle Paul oddly prays for them to know Jesus Christ more. Is this a mistake? No. Contrary to a lot of those things that we pray about and that we desire in our Christian walk, in our everyday life, we're missing one important thing, brothers and sisters, and that is we need to know Jesus Christ more and we need to know Him desperately. There are a few things that come out of that. Two questions. Why should I know Christ more? And How can I get to know him more? I'm sorry for you note-takers. I don't do notes. I don't do slides. I'm old school. I'd like to answer those two questions together with you. First one is, why should we know Jesus Christ, our Savior, even more every single day? First point I'd like to make is, Because Jesus Christ is the only way into heaven. All of us here, I bet, want to be in heaven. All of us here want to attain eternal life. And I'm here to tell you, and hopefully you already know this, but if you don't, turn to John 14, a very famous verse. John 14, 6-7, it says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and what? The life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
If you had known me, you would know my Father also. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Our world is thoroughly confused today. There are so many people proclaiming that there are multiple ways into the heavenly kingdom. The reason we need to know Jesus more every single day is we need to be rooted in the truth that Jesus Christ is the only way into the heavenly kingdom. Without a relationship with Jesus Christ, our Savior, you and I would have never seen heaven. We never will attain heavenly kingdom aside from the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We have to believe these words. The words of Jesus are true. They're piercing. We cannot manufacture any other way of getting into heaven. Jesus Christ is the only way. He also says that I am the truth. What a world we live in today. I came to this country 27, almost 28 years ago. I was just a teenager. And I remember just joyful being here. Because we're like, ah, we made it to America. This is an awesome country. We're going to have all these great things. And my parents were so happy because this is a Christian country. This is a country and a society that upholds Christian values. This is a society that is built on biblical values and biblical propositions. But as we look around today, in the short 27, 28 years that I've been here, and all of you have been here as well, what are we seeing? We're seeing things like we cannot even tell what a woman is anymore or who a man is. I have to laugh, but at the same time, it's sad when I see these shows with people who come on who claim to be professors of this or the other or the next thing, who proclaim to know and to have studied for years and decades, and they say, a woman is whatever it is that you define a woman to be. Brothers and sisters, if we do not see Jesus Christ and the need for him, we will quickly lose the truth. So in order for us to continue in the truth and to have a compass that is pointing into heaven, we must realize that Jesus Christ is the truth. He is not only telling the truth, He is the source of all truth. He is the one who sets the standard for truth. So if anybody is asking you, what is it? Tell me. We cannot just simply tell them our own version of the truth. We have to rely on the Word of God and rely on the reality that Christ is the one who is the truth in order for us to have any validity in our conversations with people. And the last thing Jesus Christ proclaimed there about Himself is that He is the life. Tell me, what is the one thing that people in this whole entire universe are mostly afraid of, they're afraid of and terrified with? Isn't it death? It is. Majority of people dread the idea of dying. In Christ, we have life. With Him, we do not have to worry about where we are going when we die. So if death meets me today, or in 40, 50, I don't know, 20 years, or if Christ arrives, 
we can be all certain that in Jesus Christ we have eternal life. Let's continue on. i got to hurry. Point number two I'd like to make, the reason we need to know Jesus Christ more every single day is because in Jesus we do not have to work for our salvation. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 says an interesting thing. It says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What is Jesus Christ talking about there? Is he talking about getting into a yoke with an oxen? And No, he's not talking about any of those things. He is simply saying that if you are trying to labor for your salvation today, you don't have to do that any longer. Jesus Christ is the only way for us to be saved and faith in him. The weight of saving myself through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ has been lifted from my shoulders. Jesus says, I have accomplished it all for you. Come together, stand with me. I am the one who is accomplishing this salvation. And he says things like, I am humble and I am gentle. I will not beat you up for your life that you lived. I will not beat you up for those sins that you've committed. Come to me, says Jesus Christ. I've done it all on the cross. You are now free to accept that. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9 state that by grace we have been saved through faith and it is not of our own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. As I was thinking through this, I thought about it in this way. Stick with me for a second. Can you imagine if there were those people who were actually able to attain salvation through their own works, and God would be like, yep, that guy, he did it. Can you imagine the amount of pride that would produce in a person. I mean, that would be an enormous amount. I mean, I just can't even imagine. But God says, no, it is not of the things that you are doing. It is through that faith that Jesus Christ gives to you because of his gift on the cross. Not a result of works. There's nothing that I can do. Third point I'd like to make is that we can lean on Christ in all of our earthly troubles. Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3. If you're running into troubles like I do in my life, a lot of times we get desperate and we're like, there's no one, nobody out there who can help me out. There's no one who can understand. No one. Nobody's been in this situation before. Let me pause you there for a second. Turn to Hebrews 12. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely that sin is here, it's present within my body, within my life. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How can we do that? Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of God on the throne. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, 
so that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. So when we're running into our daily troubles and things are happening quick and we are spinning out of control, the reason we need to know Jesus more is because we need to realize that Jesus Christ was tempted in every single way. Hebrews 2.18, he says, because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Brothers and sisters, it is an easy thing to say, but not an easy thing to grasp. But we must trust the Word of God. It says to us that we ought to cling on to Jesus even harder in the times of trouble. We cannot let go and run away and just give up. We can't do that. Because Jesus Christ suffered and He was tempted and He was able to overcome. And the only way for us to overcome our temptations is through His power and through His might because He is the one who overcame. He understands. He understands the things that we're going through. So if you're stuck in trouble today, like I find myself in trouble many times over in my own mind, I think, boy, have I screwed up this time. Is it even possible that Jesus can help me in this situation? But every single time, he does, because he is faithful to his word. Fourth point I'd like to make today is that Christ is worthy of our time, our knowledge, and our worship. I've been studying the book of Revelations. Quite honestly, I was terrified to read it to my kids because I was, th I was thinking, how am I going to explain this? But sometimes we're more afraid of the things and we have to just be faithful in reading it. When we came to chapter 5, I'd just like to share this with you. It was just a great and awesome thing. And there's a lot of reading, so stick with me. Chapter 5 of Revelation, this is when a John is in heaven and he sees a vision of God in chapter 4. and He's talking about a great and awesome presence and he felt like a dead man. And then God is being worshipped, the Father, and he's on his throne. And then he sees in chapter 5, he sees God the Father holding the scroll in his hand. Let's read about it. He says, Then I saw in the right hand of him, verse 1 of chapter 5 of Revelations, who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. So John is up there and he's seen this awesome great vision of God and God has the scroll and the scroll contains the future of the world. And John wants to know. And they're searching all over the place. They're trying to find somebody who is worthy to take this book out of the hand of God and to open it. And they're not finding anybody. Notice that what says that and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was, it's like nowhere. Not a single person was able to do it. And he starts to cry. 
Now, I don't know why he cried, whether he was just disappointed that he made it all the way here and he saw the book in the hand of God and he knows what's contained in there and he's like, ah, I'm not going to be able to know. Or, whatever other reason he was crying, but he says, I started to weep loudly because nobody was able to open it. But verse 5, it says, And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. He says, Stop crying. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. In verse 6, And between the throne and the four living creatures among the elders, I saw a lamb standing, although he has been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the earth. We're not going to get into that right now, but it is a very interesting um, analogy there. And verse 7, And he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voices of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, a number that can't even be produced in the human mind, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Is he worthy? He is. I love that song. He is. He is worthy. Amen to that. And if we do not think today that Jesus Christ is worthy of being known more in our life here on earth, we're deeply mistaken. Because as we see through the eyes of John, a little bit glimpse into heaven, what are they doing there? They're saying things like, Worthy you are to take the scroll and open the seal. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor, and glory, and might forever. And what did they do? They fell down and worshipped. The whole entire heaven falls in front of the throne of Christ, and they fall and they worship the Lamb. Is He worthy of our honor? Yes, He is. He is worthy. If you want to be aligned with the heavenly kingdom, and with the things that the angels and all the elders and all the creatures that we cannot even understand or begin to fathom that exist. We need to understand that we need to start knowing Christ more every single day in our life. That is why Apostle Paul is praying that. He says, 
that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. So we have to answer the second question. How is it that we're going to know Christ more? And these be very, might be very basic things, and I hope all of you are doing these. The first one is, we get to know Christ by regular study of the Word of God and His Scriptures and the Gospel. In John 39, I'm sorry, John 5.39, Christ was rebuking the Pharisees and He said an interesting thing. He said, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness of Me. So we can see Christ from Scriptures. He was rebuking the Pharisees because They were looking through scriptures and they overlooked Christ coming. But we ought not to do that. We ought to study the scriptures because they are the sword that is able to pierce our heart, to cut away the layers and the layers of that sinful fat that we have on there that the Word is able to perform the surgery on our heart. Second thing we ought to do is something that is maybe not so common these days. I haven't heard anybody pray to the Holy Spirit in a long time. In fact, one of my most favorite preachers of all time, and I'm sure he's one of yours as well, John MacArthur, he did a series about maybe 10 years ago, 12 years ago now, and it was a series of, I believe it was eight sermons, or 10 maybe, and it was entitled, Whatever Happened to the Holy Spirit? And he just went out and just took the time to lay out the work of the Spirit through the words of the Bible. And the focus was that we ought to pray to the God who lives inside of us, and that is the God, the third person of the Trinity, Holy Spirit. He's the the one inside of me, so I need to pray, I need to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal Christ to me. Why? Because according to John 15, verses 26 and 27, that is his job. Let's read it together. It says, John 15, verses 26 and 27. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, namely the Spirit of truth, who comes from the Father, he will do what? He will testify about me. And you are testifying as well, because you have been with me from the beginning. The work of the Holy Spirit is to explain the person of Jesus Christ to us. So we must study the Scriptures, and we must ask the Holy Spirit of God to explain who Christ is to us. If we're confused or mistaken, we need to know and understand Him. And for lack of time, I'd like to also point out that sometimes we see Christ in a very, very mistaking way. The tendency today is to preach Christ as full of love and He's your friend and He is just going to give you a hug and He's going to love you no matter what you do and no matter how you carry yourself on, which all things are true. But there's a different side of Christ. There's a side of Christ as a rightful judge. 
And he's going to watch hell burn forever and ever and ever. And his mighty, justified, awesome wrath is going to be poured out on the sinners who are not going to bow their knee before Jesus Christ. We must understand that reality. We must understand that it is not devil with a big pitchfork there in hell making people suffer. No. It is Christ who is going to bring righteous, rightful judgment for those who failed to honor Him as God. So we must ask the Spirit of God and pray to Him and say, Lord, Spirit of God, would you please magnify the person of Jesus Christ in my heart? And the third thing I would say would be surround yourself with people who seek to know Christ more. We all choose our companies, and we're in charge of that. So if you feel today that your company of people that you have surrounded yourselves with, they're bringing you down and not up, that your conversations that you're having with your friends, with your family, are just filled with all those earthly things, and the name of Christ and what he has done for you on the cross is never ever brought up and mentioned, or if it is brought up and mentioned, then all of a sudden the crowd gets quiet and it gets awfully awkward. Maybe you should reconsider the things that you're talking about with those people and who you're hanging out with and who your company is. I had to do that for myself as well. Some people had to be cut off, and I'm not saying that in a righteous or a self-righteous manner, no, but self-inventory of your connections and the people you are conducting your life with helps greatly in your walk We have to hurry a bit. I'm almost done. Verse 18, it says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. You see, if we go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we don't have time to read through all of that right now, but it clearly explains how the Israelites missed Christ. It's talking about the veil being in front of their eyes. They were so preoccupied with the religious activity of the day. They thought in their pompous arrogance that just simply because they were children of Abraham that they had free entrance into heaven, which was a grave mistake. And when Christ came and preached the kingdom of God to them, and he said, it is my kingdom, they killed and crucified him because they hated that message. They couldn't believe that he would say that. In fact, we see many instances in the gospel when Christ is calling them into repentance and they're like, who are you? We're children of Abraham. You were born of fornication. The veil was hanging over their eyes. But what are the veils that are hanging over us today, over our eyes? Doing self-inventory of myself, I found that the veil of busyness hangs over my eyes today which prevents me from seeing Christ more every day. We're so busy. In fact, I'm sure you've heard this, and I'm sure you've said it, and I've done it too. Sometimes you ask, how are you doing? What are we here? I'm busy. Oh, so busy. We're all busy. But it shouldn't prevent us from picking up the Word of God and opening it to seek the one person who saved us 
from eternal hell, hell and damnation. Maybe the veil of enrichment is hanging in front of me and my eyes. Maybe there are some idols, some hobbies, my love of a certain sports team or a certain sport. or Maybe it is my family and my kids and my wife and I'm just serving them so much and I'm just so preoccupied to do everything possible. Maybe it is the idolatry of my own selfishness and I serve nobody but myself. I had to check myself on that one. I get so preoccupied with the things that I want, I desire, that I forget to give honor and glory to the one who bled and died for me. In the last four verses of the chapter, 20, I'm sorry, 5, 20 to 23, they say this, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is, in, that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he has put all things in subjection under his feet, meaning the feet of Jesus Christ, and made him head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Dear church, I'd like to just call you to realize what kind of riches we have in the person of Jesus Christ today. This world is spinning out of control quickly. We're only going to get worse before we would ever get better. That culture that we might have thought was Christian and good around us is disintegrating quickly. The truth of Christian lifestyle is evaporating right in front of our eyes. But it's not a surprise. Quite honestly, if we read Romans 1 and we watch the, the history of the past 60 years within the United States of America, we're clearly living under the punishment of God today. But I'd like to call you not into despair, but into great hope. And that hope is our Savior and God, Jesus Christ. The Father sent the Son to accomplish the work that we could never do for ourselves on the cross. And the Spirit of God has been sent into our hearts to testify about that person, about the person of Jesus Christ. I would love to call you to know Him more every day. And in our prayers, fill them with begging the Lord to know Him more every single day. And the second thing is, pray that the people who you are surrounded with, your loved ones, our church, that we will know Jesus Christ more every single day and live to the glory of Him. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, we are thankful for Your Word. Thank You that You reminded us out of the prayer of Apostle Paul today that we ought to pray for one another and how we ought to pray for one another. Lord, and I just pray for this church. I know that there are many here who are seeking You, Lord. But for those who might not be seeking You yet, would You reveal themselves, Yourself to them, Lord? Would You open their eyes to see that You are the only one worth knowing 
not only in this life, but in the life to come. Father, I pray that the Spirit of God, O Holy Spirit, would you reveal the person of Christ to us, that we may see the beauty and the awesome God that we have. Lord, we are so preoccupied with the things of this world. Forgive us. Forgive me, Lord. And I pray that I just may dwell in your word and through the work of your spirit that I would know who you truly are more and more every day to the glory of you, our Lord. We pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.